Well, after a very memorable Tuesday night, plenty of questions remain about who exactly will form the next government. Global BC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer, and the Globe and Mail's Gary Mason join me to talk about an election result that's going to go down in the history books. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics. Wow, there's a lot to tackle as we try and untangle Tuesday's vote count, which left, as we're sitting right now, the Liberals holding 43 seats, 41 to the NDP and three for the Greens. Well, now the Greens may be the big winners on the evening. Joining me is Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer and Gary Mason. Uh, gentlemen, have any of you had any sleep yet? A little I'm, tiny I'm, bit, Shane. Slowly <laughs> catching up. <laughs> All right, yeah. so the, the, the million-dollar question here, guys, is, uh, is what happens now. Uh, Keith? Well, uh, everything really hinges in the short term on the outcome in Courtney Comox, uh, which the uh, NDP currently has a nine-vote lead. That's up for uh, a, a recount and counting the absentee ballots, starting on the 22nd, finishing on the 24th. So if the NDP or if the Liberals can reclaim that seat, they do have a tiny, the barest, slimmest of all margins uh, of uh, a majority government. And that changes the entire narrative. I mean, if they get a majority, they have a majority. It's, it may be tough to govern with the majority. They have to appoint a speaker and all that. But it gives them enormous breathing room. Uh, if they don't win that seat, we're into a minority situation. It's not clear which party could form a minority government. It's inaccurate to say the Liberals have won a minority. Uh, they're going to be given a chance to to form a minority government. They get the first crack at it. Mm. If they can't secure Green Party support, uh, the ball then goes into John Horgan's court and see if he can do it. So we're still in very uncharted waters for decades, and it's unclear until we get that result in some of these close ridings. Uh, it's not entirely clear who's in charge. Vaughn? Yes, Shane, I looked up this morning. Uh, we've we've all said, you know, that the last time we had a minority situation in the B.C. legislature was 65 years ago. Yeah. I looked up this morning to see how long it took them to sort it out that time, and the answer is eight weeks. Whoa. So uh, I, I think we can get it done faster this time because they had a more complicated voting system, but... Uh, we could be up in the air for a while. Uh, Keith's right that the first thing we get is the 24th. We get the final count. But some of these races are so close that they could be subject to a judicial recount, and that could take additional number of weeks. Mm, that's a good point. Gary, you covered a number of these things. Uh, what's your read on this? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's BC politics, so I mean, anything could happen. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think everybody rightly is focused on Courtney Colmox just because the closeness of the race but you know there as you mentioned there are some other uh there are some other results that are still pretty tight there's over 170,000 ballots left to be counted here that is a lot that is way more absentee ballots that existed in in 2013 so i mean that that could still change the outcome of this you know election even even more i mean it could give it could help the liberals it could you know build up a, a you know sort of a stronger majority it could completely flip the result we we just don't know yet we this thing is completely up in the air yeah and uh, as we speak there are recounts uh, going on in Courtney Comox officially and Maple Ridge Mission uh, Courtney Comox of course getting all the spotlight with that 9 vote difference uh, but just 120 votes between the NDP and the uh, liberal incumbent in Maple Ridge Mission uh, and that's not even all of them Coquitlam Burke Mountain uh, is a narrow 170 mm-hmm. vote edge for the Liberals there, Richmond, Queensboro, Jazz Johal holding on to a 263 vote edge. Uh, so there are a few seats potentially that could go either way. Keith? Well, yeah, it, it, actually, Vaughn pointed out to me yesterday that Mark Dalton in, Vancouver, in Maple Ridge Mission 
who's losing by 120 votes, actually gained a net advantage in 2013 on the absentee votes of 121 votes, which, <laughs> if that holds true, uh, would make him a one-vote victor if the same sort of uh, returns came in. So this shows you how writings can actually change of that in terms of that narrow, narrow victory. Having said that, my experience is not many writings change on recounts, um, unless they're, we're talking you know, less than 50, 50 votes or something. Uh, so the, recall, the recounts, I don't think, are going to change um, a lot of these results. But the absentee ballots can. And uh, in, in these tight races of 120 votes or less, I think there is a, ch- a chance that some of these writings could flip. If everything goes the Liberals' way uh, and they flip two seats, that's, a, that's just a huge difference than what we currently are looking at. So uh, a lot is up in the air. I don't think anybody can make too many... Uh, guesstimates yet, uh, or, or firm conclusions on which way this is going to go until we see that final count. Yeah, worth noting, UBC economist Kevin Milligan on Twitter pretty actively the last couple hours, uh, and he's concluded uh, that A, there's historically a systemic pro-NDP lean in absentee ballots, and B, uh, that there's a very, very good chance that we'll remain with the result we have now. Uh, Vaughn? Yeah, no, I, I think he's right. And one thing to keep in mind, uh, from 2013, the boundary changes in Courtney Comox are significant. It took a thousand voters who voted NDP in 2013 out of the riding this time, so that may affect the absentee vo- uh, vote count as well. The other thing about Courtney Comox is a lot of those absentee votes may be military votes. People, because there's a military base there, they may be people who are uh, on assignment elsewhere or from elsewhere. Uh, and I got a note this morning, Shane, you're going to love this, from a former NDP MLA who points out mm-hmm. that in 1968, a federal election result in that the, in the federal riding was thrown out because upon scrutiny, they concluded that some of the military people that voted didn't qualify to vote. And the margin was so close, they ordered another election. So, again, we are into unexplored territory here. The election results in a riding where, at the moment, there's a nine-vote edge. Every single vote will be scrutinized. Every single eligible voter will be subjected to was that person actually qualified to vote. Yeah, and that's also assuming that people on the base like their former commander, Gary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ex- exactly. But, you know, it, as much as, you know, we're, we're all sort of, you know, theorizing about what happened, I mean, in the meantime, you know, the, the, the parties are all sort of planning for different eventualities. Obviously, the, you know, the liberals uh, in particular, I mean, they have to, you know, they just can't wait and, and until we know the final results to kind of come up with a plan here. And so, you know, one of the big things that's going on behind the scenes now is, you know, if, if, if they, if they do find themselves having to, you know, find some common ground with the Greens in order to continue to govern in a minority government situation, then where, where is that common ground? And how much can they, you know, give up without alienating their base and, and sort of, you know, uh, completely blowing up their own ideology and angering conservatives? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very, very complicated, you know, field right now. But, but this is some of the stuff that's sort of going on behind the scenes as we speak. Yeah, Andrew Weaver, I noted, was on NW yesterday saying that uh, negotiations would begin next week with both the Liberals and the NDP, so we'll have to see, uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, Keith, what, what does he stand to gain or lose in this whole thing? Well, he can gain a number of uh, things, uh, I think, fairly easily. Uh, we've all speculated about uh, the ending the uh, grizzly bear hunt, for example. 
I don't think uh, Chrissy Clark would use that much political capital if she accedes to Weaver's demands on that front. Um, you know, maybe some northern uh, ridings might be, um, you know, partially effective. But they got the one thing that's happened in this election is the Liberals basically own the rest of the province outside Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. So they've got a lot of pa- political capital to use up there. They can expend a lot. So ending the, gr- the uh, grizzly bear hunt is one. I think she can uh, agree to the uh, end to uh, uh, donations from corporations and unions to political parties. Uh, I mean, she's already signaled she's prepared to at least explore that option. So that's another one of Weaver's uh, top priorities. She could agree to put proportional representation to a referendum. I mean, Gordon Campbell did that twice. Uh, so there's a number of things that I think the Liberals can agree to do to meet the Greens' uh, agenda uh, in terms of priorities. But um, whether or not that's that's enough for Weaver remains to be seen. I mean, he's getting enormous pressure, I would think, from his own people not to agree to anything with Christie Clark, that mm. voters want something different than the Liberal government. On the other hand, there's a lot of Greens who also fear getting swallowed up by the NDP and are very resentful of the NDP for trying to suppress their vote in the last days of the election, saying a vote for the Green is a wasted vote. And how dare you uh, How dare you vote for that uh, party when you could threaten our chance of forming government? So there's a lot of t- there's actually more tension between the Green Greens and the NDP than there is with the Liberals. But I think Weaver's getting pressure on, on both sides. And in fact, it makes me wonder if he's not secretly hoping that the Liberals do claim that 44th seat. And, yeah. and, and therefore sparing him from casting his lot with either side because he's going to get hammered no matter what he does. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I want to keep on that topic, but uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and hear from uh, Vaughn and Gary on that here on Inside Politics. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Welcome back. Before the break, Keith Baldry was talking about the position that Andrew Weaver was in. Uh, his dream position may also be his worst nightmare. Gary? Yeah, I think uh, this is something Vaughn and I were talking about the other day. Uh, you know, one thing that Andrew Weaver has to be careful about is overreaching in terms of his demands. I mean, he is still a party that has three seats in the legislature, not, you know, 41 or 43. So he has to be uh, careful that he does not come across as being unreasonable uh, in, in his demands. Um, so he's, but but you know, he has to walk such a fine line here. You know, while on the one hand he doesn't want to appear to be unreasonable, uh, on the other hand he doesn't want to be seen capitulating on key issues. You know, inside his party, campaign finance reform would be obviously top of his list. He has said that. And, you know, he may want to try and push a little further here in terms of what he wants to get out of the out of the uh, out of the liberals on, on this one issue. I mean, behind the scenes, I think he's also going to be talking to the Democrats who, who might say, hey, listen, you know, campaign finance report, we're prepared to go much further in terms of, you know, cleaning up the political subculture in this province, which is really dirty and go, you know, look at the lobbyist industry, for instance. I mean, the Liberals may not want to go down that road. The NDP might say, listen, why don't we, why don't we join forces and do something that really creates change in this province in a, in a substantial and meaningful way, rather than taking baby steps. So it's, it's very complicated for the, for the Greens right now, and, and a lot of focus and attention is, is on them and what they're going to do. Yeah, and on banning union and corporate donations, the Liberals still have a lot of money in the bank. The other two parties, not so much. Mm-hmm. Vaughn? You make a very good point, yeah. Shane, which is, 
you know, the other thing that all these parties have to have in their back of their minds is if you follow the history of these precarious balances in a legislature across this country, they probably got about 18 months max to sort things out. So do you want to be straight back? You might be straight back into an election, and we're guessing that the Liberals still have a bit of few bucks in the old petty cash drawer. <laughs> Whereas I'm not, wouldn't be surprised, especially how much the NDP spent on it. I'd guess about seven or eight million dollars. They need to yeah. raise a lot more. So, um, you know, these are practical realities. But Gary's point is especially important with Weaver because. Remember, Weaver's fundamental promise is to do politics differently. So if he can come out and show that by cooperating with either party or both, the Greens got some good things done in the province that were in the public interest, then I think he's advanced his cause. If he looks like he's just crass bargaining for some kind of short-term political advantage, then people, I think, are going to go, just like all the other parties, and the risk he runs is in the next election, his brand will be impaired by that. Yeah. I, I wonder how long a marriage would last with either party. Numerically, it would seem that Clark would be the better bet because they'd have more of an edge uh, as far as, as a majority. Uh, John Horgan, he may be more ideologically aligned with, uh, but the numbers game doesn't work so well there. Keith? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think this is going to be a shaky marriage, no matter which uh, which uh, side he, he goes with. Uh, there's going to be some tension. Uh, but Gary's, Gary's right uh, about the overreaching. Uh, they, the Greens did not win this election. They didn't even come close. I mean, they do not have the mandate from the people to do anything. Uh, but there was, obviously, uh, they were tapping into this desire for change. I think a lot of Liberals, and talking to uh, Liberal candidates, both successful and unsuccessful, a number of them, told me they they picked up a lot of liberals voted for green i mean this myth that the ndp is the only party that the greens take from is just that it's a myth i've been saying for some time now that uh, the liberals uh, are vulnerable to a, a green voter because there's a lot of disaffected liberals but having said that andrew weaver can't put out like 12 demands here and think he's going to get them all he's got to he's got to narrow his views here uh, agree i would if i were him I'd, I'd not agree to any formal coalition just take it vote by vote and say and and basically a wink and a nod to the other parties if you want my continued support you are going to bring in some things i i want or the greens want which could be proportional representation could be could be a ban on corporate and union donations, political parties. I would say that's a, that's a given. Uh, as I mentioned before, a ban on the grizzly bear hunt. Uh, some things to give him a few bones here. But, uh, I mean, he's not running the province, even though he has a disproportionate share of power now, because he does have potentially the balance of power if uh, the Liberals can't take that Courtney seat on May 24th. Yeah, and Andrew Weaver's been pretty blunt on saying banning union and corporate donations is an absolute deal-breaker for him. Whatever party he aligns with has to agree to that. But conversely, are there deal-breakers for the Liberals or the NDP in aligning with the Greens? Um, I would be surprised if they would, either party, Liberal or NDP, would agree or, uh, to change the electoral system without a referendum. I think that would be asking too much. But, you know, one opportunity here that might occur to the Greens or to either of the major parties is to say to Weaver, um, look, uh, why don't you put some bills before the House that would change things? And they be your ideas, and we can vote for them and support them. And you can say, look, I accomplished this thing. For example, we've talked about it, the ban on the grizzly bear hunt. Or suppose they let Weaver make the motion for an independent commission to review a new system for financing 
uh, elections in BC after they get rid of union and corporate donations. You can, I think, the parties, if they really want to show they're working together, they could do some constructive things and let Weaver lead on a few issues and let those be the things he points to his own supporters and say, "Look what I accomplished." Gary, you know, there's, I mean, the one thing we, you know, a lot of focus is on union and corporate donations, but I mean, there's a big area that we haven't even talked about yet. That's the environment. And a lot of the green supporters, you know, yes, union and corporate donations, cleaning up politics is important, but to them, the environment is, is the big thing. And, you know, you look at some of the areas that, you know, uh, the, the greens sort of want to have uh, some change. I mean, for, for instance, we talked about sort of issues that the the liberals won't touch and like for instance site c there's yeah. absolutely no going back on site c for the liberals so i mean that's a if, if andrew weaver wants to try and open up that can of worms that's going to be a non-starter for them kinder morgan I, I think that's kind of an easy one for christy clark in a way because she can say listen you know this wasn't my deal this is justin trudeau's if you want to you know you know if you want to try and shut that down that's that's something you're going to have to take up with the feds not me now the one the one area on the environment where i think you know christy clark may have to you know agree to sort of play here is is on the carbon tax i mean the the greens want that moved up now that you know uh, christy clark wants to wait until the rest of the country catches up that's that's an area where she may have to you know concede some ground in order to to make the, the greens happy the only other thing that i think that is is a big it's going to be a big talking point is is transportation in Metro Vancouver. Yeah. I think that that was a big issue for the Liberals, uh, a negative issue for them. I think you know we're going to probably talk about Kevin Falcon in a minute and yeah. some of his comments, but uh, I think I, I do think that the, the Liberals were seen to be playing politics around transportation yeah. issues. I think that kind of bit them in the ass in this in this election. And you know, don't forget here that you know they're as much as they're going to try and satiate the Greens and to try and keep a government together for a, a bit of time so they can come up with a plan for re-election in a couple of years' time, they also have to shore up, you know, the, the, the their problems in, in Metro Vancouver. They're going to have to try and do some stuff, maybe policy-wise, to make voters like the Liberals again in Metro Vancouver. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of balls in the in the air right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I want to get into the Metro Vancouver uh, TransLink and all that kind of jazz, and especially Kevin Falcon. Uh, but we need to take a break to get to the news at the bottom of the hour with Bob Price. Uh, so Kevin Falcon making some very interesting comments, which might make you think that Christy Clark is in some leadership trouble. We'll dive into that on the other side of the news at the bottom of the hour with Bob Price. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL. Welcome back. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Gary Mason. Well, guys, as you're all aware, a former well-known BC Liberal cabinet minister and the man who came second to Christy Clark in the leadership contest, Kevin Falcon, uh, told the Vancouver Sun the BC Liberals spent too much time playing politics in Metro Vancouver, not enough time leading, and alluded to ethical issues, uh, which uh, puts Christy Clark maybe on a bit of a hot seat. Keith? Oh, yeah, no, I hard to disagree with uh, Kevin Falcon's analysis, actually. I mean, it had been talked about before that this this endless political dance they were doing with Metro Vancouver's mayors yeah. was ignoring the fact that there's there's pent-up demand for some movement on transit. And that means, so John Horgan comes out in the middle of the campaign and says, I'm going to build a new Patella Bridge. Well, you know, quite apart from the argument of who pays for it, people want a new Patello Bridge, and that's action that people were looking for. And and the Clark government insisted on on playing this, uh, this these political games. So Falcon's correct, I think, in his analysis that they were more interested in politics than actually 
governing, and uh, that came back to bite them big time in Metro. They got hammered in Metro Vancouver, yep. particularly in Surrey, where they lost more than 20,000 votes from 2013, which is an enormous loss. And I think other policies like tolls, uh, Uber, uh, tr- the trucking problems, all of those came into play in Surrey. They just didn't manage that file properly. That aside, uh, the fact that Falcon would come out this early and start basically uh, 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 questioning Christy Clark's leadership is interesting. I mean, she's gone through this before in 2013 when she had open sniping and, and basically a, a warfare in her own party over her leadership. Uh, so it'll, I, I'm not sure we're at that point yet with her leadership, but uh, she, I think she has to be a little careful. I don't think she's governing right now from a position of strength within the B.C. Liberals. She has to prove that she's learned from this and will change accordingly. And if she doesn't, you could have a, a serious internal fight uh, yeah. underway fairly quickly. And uh, to Keith's point, down the lower mainland, uh, incumbents and cabinet ministers, Amrick Verk, Peter Fassbender, Suzanne Anton, uh, Naomi Yamamoto, uh, and of course Scott Hamilton as well, and likely Mark Dalton, all gone, gone, and gone. Vaughn? You know, the Premier's reaction to this election uh, is probably the reason that Kevin Falcon felt he should speak out. Clark, on election night, gave what sounded very much like the victory speech that had been written for her if they won a majority. And when she did her first press conference the next day on Wednesday, uh, she gets asked, you know, how do you go into an election with the best job creation record in Canada, the best rate of economic growth, five balanced budgets, a surplus, $12 million in the campaign committee, and almost lose the election? She lost, as you say, 10 seats in Metro Vancouver, four cabinet ministers. Does she take any responsibility for that? She totally ducks the question. So what's going on, I think, Shane, is within the Liberal Party, there are a lot of Liberals that are unhappy with what happened, and they are also unhappy with Clark's unwillingness to acknowledge that her own style, her own decisions, led to this near debacle. And by the way, guys, uh, you probably haven't heard this because uh, you weren't probably listening to my show because you were doing your own, but uh, Terry Lake was on my election panel on Tuesday night, and when it about halfway through when it realized that uh, it wasn't going to be a Liberal majority and we were kind of into a bit of a quagmire uh he actually brought up the leadership issue and said uh, that both the liberals and the ndp are going to have serious leadership questions no matter how this thing falls out gary yeah i i think that the the other thing that kevin falcon sort of conceded and made a point on was around you know, campaign finance reform and cash for access and you know he said that this is an issue that the liberals should have you know taken on a long time ago it would have been an easy one for them to do but they refused to do it just out of pure arrogance. I mean, it's interesting for him to, to, to mention that because this is something that Ms. Clark and, and the, the band of people around here are just refusing to even acknowledge. You know, they just are so blind to this as an issue. But when you think about it, Shane, you know, you know about the, of the issues, the sort of the overarching issues in this campaign in Metro Vancouver, one of the biggest ones was affordability. People can't afford to live in this region. Mm-hmm. So the NDP quite brilliantly dovetailed the the frustration on on that issue and tied it to cash for access and 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 in the process they developed this campaign theme you know you know the the rich have had their premier now it's time for you to have yours and so and and i think that that resonated in metro vancouver particularly the whole issue of 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 the, the rich donors that are popping up this party and the affordability issue, which they ignored for far too long before they did anything. And I think those two were, uh, you know, together were a, a very explosive combination for the NDP. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I would I would add to that because I, I'm totally on board when it comes to affordability. And that was a big mover down the lower mainland. And we're seeing a flood of people moving to Kamloops for that very same reason. But I would also add the one thing that really confused me is I had prominent BC Liberals telling me before the campaign, during the campaign, this whole thing was going to be decided in Metro Vancouver. And yet they weren't positioned well going in. They've not treated Metro Vancouver very well, whether it's the Portman Bridge tolls, whether it's the TransLink referendum, all this stuff which has stirred the region against them and even though they say that okay this is going to be battleground lower mainland they just seemed just kind of out of tune with the issues that were going on down there Mm -hmm. yeah the ndp's vote though overall in the province uh, john horgan got about the same share of the popular vote as adrian dix did but what happened was a shift in distribution chain It, it the ndp vote in the north and the interior dropped but it went up in Metro Vancouver, and because that's where the seats are, Horgan was able to maximize the seat count at a much higher level than Dix. It does, however, mean, I think, uh, a division in British Columbia that in the long run is not going to be healthy for public policymaking. Mm-hmm. You have one party in control in Metro, and another where you know all the people live, and another one to be in control in the, wealth, in the north and the interior where a lot of the province's wealth are created. Yeah, and I'm already seeing that kind of play out a little bit with this sort of narrative that's given birth since then of, uh, you know, the heartland of British Columbia versus sort of the city elites, which uh, I'm seeing some people bandy about. Yeah. Well, you look at I showed on election night and subsequent, the map, of the electoral map of B.C., uh, and assigning colors to each of the parties, B.C., outside of Metro Vancouver, is almost uniformly red. They're liberal red, mm. and the liberals took seats from the NDP, Columbia River, Revelstoke, and Skeena, and held, you know, Kamloops, Prince George, all those ridings up there. But you go down to Metro Vancouver, the suburbs of, of Metro Vancouver are almost uniformly orange, and, uh, you know, the NDP uh, swept uh, the suburbs. Now, you know, the NDP still has to be asking itself some questions here. As Vaughn says, its vote didn't go up. And they didn't win the election. And this this only took them so far. There has to be another piece of the puzzle here for them to figure out how to get to an electoral victory. But they obviously did some serious damage to uh, to the B.C. Liberals in Metro Vancouver. And the challenge now is for John Horgan to figure a way, okay, how do I win ridings outside of Metro Vancouver because uh, and Vancouver Island? Because uh, there's, they run out of real estate to form government. They got to figure a way to win outside of that. And Christy Clark and the Liberals have to figure a way. How do we get back into Metro Vancouver? We got, we got killed in Burnaby, Tri Cities, and Surrey, and Maple Ridge, and uh, they can't really form an effective uh, majority government unless they can find a way back into the winning the hearts and minds of the voters in those cities. Yeah, and it's funny because the BC Liberals hammered John Organ during the campaign for the whole North of Fifty thing, uh, and he spent and focused his time in Metro Vancouver, which large seemed to pay off, but uh, if he'd visited Fraser Nicola and hammered a couple of other key ridings around the province, he might have been in a completely different position than he is today. Feel free to jump in on that, Gary or Vaughn. <laughs> Hello? Normally these guys don't wait for... Uh, yeah, what's going on? You guys still on the phone, Gary? Oh yeah, we're still here. All right, all right. <laughs> Anyway, I was uh, I was uh, postulating over Horgan's campaign uh, strategy of focusing on the Lower Mainland and how he could have, you know, uh, bettered his position by visiting some key ridings outside. Well, you know, I think they had done their work on that. And Shane, uh, John Horgan, when he took on the NDP leadership, said that, you know, one of the things they had to do was to campaign right up through the center of the province, through the interior, and win back those areas. But I just think he wasn't able to get his own party to take the positions 
that would have given him something that he could take to people there. Is yeah. The NDP is increasingly an urban environmentalist party that really doesn't have much sympathy for development of the province's resource industries and all that. Uh, to them, that's all the past, not the future. Uh, it's interesting, Shane, if you go back to, say, the 60s or 70s, and I did a little of this with the last couple in the 90s, the NDP governments, with, with Mike Harcourt... Glenn Clark and Dave Barrett, about 30% of their caucuses when they formed government were members from the North and the Interior. Mm. John Horgan has 7% of his caucus. He's got three seats. Two in the Southeast, Nelson Creston and Kootenay West. Uh, Yes, he's also got North Coast, but that's really a coastal riding. So it's a huge shift in the NDP, and if you go back again, Shane, to the 70s or even the 90s, a lot of those towns had pulp mills, they had sawmills, they had mines, they had a lot of unionized workers who were tied to the NDP, and that era in the party's history is fading away. So I think Horgan probably made the right call in terms of scarce resources in a campaign, but it does mean a fundamental change in the history of that party. Yeah, I totally agree, Gary. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Bond's right. I mean, it, this is uh, this is an issue. This is totally an issue for the NDP. But you know, I, I think that when you look at sort of the future, uh, where what would you rather be the party of? Would you rather be the party of Metro uh, Vancouver for urban settings, which are only going to grow into the future, or do you want to be the the party of you know more rural interior settings where populations you know have been shrinking. I mean, now they might actually be growing again just because people are fleeing the lower mainland because yeah. they can't afford to uh, live there anymore. But, but I mean, I, I think that I think the NDP strategy, you know, if you have to make a choice, the choice is you know, between the two. The choice is obvious. You go for that urban area where, where the bulk of the population is. But, but you know, it's just like you look at this, you look at this election and, and, you know, the NDP, if they spent a little bit of time in a, a couple of these other areas, you know, it could have made a difference. In, but you can say exactly the same thing, uh, you know, with the liberals in, in lower mainland. So uh, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll finish up with our final thoughts on the other side with Gary Mason, Vaughn Palmer and Keith Baldry here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Welcome back. We're talking to Vaughn Palmer, Keith Baldry, and Gary Mason about one heck of an election night. Okay, guys, uh, assuming the numbers stand, and we don't know if they will, uh, John Horgan's got 41 seats. If he gets Andrew Weaver on board, that's 44. He's obviously positioning himself to make an argument, at least publicly, to go to the the lieutenant governor and and make some kind of a government pitch. But I, I can't see him numerically having that strong a leg to stand on here. The problem he has, and Christy Clark has, and John Horgan has, they all have the same problem, ultimately. The results in the House are so close that it will be difficult to manage the place whoever is in charge. Uh, you have to appoint a speaker. The speaker doesn't vote on everything. Uh, you have to have all your members there all the time, every day, because you might lose a vote. It's, it's a balancing act that we've not had in the province for some time. We've had close margins, three or four seats, but this is going to be like one or two seats. As somebody gets sick, somebody's away, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very different. So the one thing I think we already know, Shane, is that whatever happens after 
final count comes in, whoever ends up in charge, they have one incredible challenge in terms of managing the business of the legislature, keeping things going. And that's why I think we will be into an election again uh, well before the full four years of a government term. Oh, yeah, I would, I'm almost absolutely. Uh, so maybe here's a question then. Is John Horgan better off standing back and saying, you know what, Andrew, I'm just, we're not going to have a chat, uh, and then sit back and, and see what the Libs and Greens can do and hope that the backlash on that is enough that propels him over the top in the next election? I don't think that that's going to happen, Shane. Uh, I, you know, from my understanding is that they're, you know, just as just as the Liberals are sort of contemplating the common ground that they could find with the Greens, I think the NDP are doing exactly the same thing. You know, my thoughts, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, this minority situation is fantastic. You know, this is how mm-hmm. this is, you're going to get this great collaboration, and maybe this is the perfect ideal for a, a parliamentary system. Well, I, I just don't see that happening. I, you know, the the, the problem is, at the end of the day, you still have two main parties that hate each other's guts, and the ND, you know, the NDP and the and the, and the Liberals just uh, just do not like each other. You know, that there's been this like decades long war, and and as a result of it, the feelings are so strong. And you know, the the NDP aren't going to do anything that that's going to try and help the the Liberals. And to, to, so, you know, Christy Clark can say what she heard from voters is that. That, you know, they want people to, you know, they want political parties to work across partisan lines. Well, you know, that's easy to say, but that's just not going to happen. So I'm kind of with Vaughn on this. You know, I, I think that, you know, you're going to see some jockeying, you're going to see some stuff done. But I think we're, I think we're going to be into an election within two years as well. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, I, sorry, Keith, it was I just agree. classic Christy Please. Clark there, just to throw this in, when she was talking the other day and, and addressing the, the day after the election, and she talked about the voters' message of working across party lines, collaboration, <laughs> And doing a new approach, and then in almost the same sentence, punched the NDP right in the gut, which I thought well, was you're, just... You're not going to have these parties. I mean, they just spent 28 days, uh, the Liberals and the NDP, with attack ads, assailing and besmirching the personal integrity of each of their leaders. I mean, the, the, the NDP basically called Christy Clark almost a, a murderer and a crook. And the and the BC Liberals basically called John Horgan completely gutless and 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 you know uh, uh, smirched his character as well. They're not going to go from doing that for 28 days to suddenly having a handshake deal and getting along in the house. Gary's totally right. These two sides hate each other. Yeah. There's no common ground, and it's become very very personal. The likes of which I've not seen in a long time. There's the personal enmity between these two sides is is palpable. Uh, Weaver is different in that both sides can get along with him. So there, there will be cooperation, uh, but it will be, t- be between the Greens and the other parties, but not between the Liberals and the NDP. There's no common ground. It's, it's too far gone to make up now. Okay, so I've heard numbers from you guys uh, two years, 18 months. I know I was talking to Hamish Telford the other day. He figures we could be in an election as early as this fall, as late as this spring. Is that out of the realm of possibility? It favors the B.C. Liberals if, uh, if there's an election. They're the only ones with money to spend on an election campaign. The other two parties are broke. Yeah, so. I, think, I think the thing there, Shane, that the Liberals have to be careful about, if I could just say, you know, they, they, they have to be careful about trying to uh, fix things to have an early election that the public doesn't mm. want, like in order to yep. take advantage of the, financial situ- you know, the, the desperate financial situation that the other parties are in. 
I mean, we, we've seen what can happen when the electorate gets played like that. And the, the most recent example is in Alberta, when Jim Prentice tried to do exactly that, when, you know, when he joined forces with the Danielle Smith and they decided to call an early election a year ahead of time to take advantage of a NDP that was sort of, you know, didn't have the, the, the means, but the, the public did not like that. So I think the liberals have to be very careful here about how they stage manage an early election to take advantage of their financial uh, means. Yeah, interesting point, Vaughn. Yeah. The, what really goes on, I think, is a game of bluff. Uh, the the government, whoever ends up as the government, says we're going to do this, and if you other parties want to go ahead and defeat us on this one, well, let's you know we'll just face the public on that. What you want is for the arrangement to fall apart on your terms, so that you don't get blamed for the early election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we all have to be careful on that. If the motion before the house is something that generally the public supports, they should all support it and not force an election on it. Uh, so there's maneuvering. It's going to be fascinating here because there's going to be so much maneuvering going on. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely like will Casey be. Casey Bennett, 1952. <laughs> it is unbelievable. I mean, Keith, Vaughn, uh, Gary, you guys have covered politics for a long, long time. I, I, I don't think any of you have probably seen anything like this. Nope, nothing like this. <laughs> I, think Mason, I think Mason was, or no, Vaughn was alive and, and covering politics in 52 when White <laughs> 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 Uh, the second Amorta Cosmos administration. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final thought before we say goodbye. Uh, it caught my eye. The elections BC turnout, 60% preliminary total. Well, that's actually higher than 2013. Any surprises there? Higher? I'm, I'm surprised. I thought it would be lower with all the negative campaign, but it's still pathetically low. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but so on the ride, in my office, it's urging thing. Next, next election, they do a Pokemon Go thing at the at the uh, electoral station to get more kids out voting. <laughs> oh God, let's hope it's not doesn't go to that. <laughs> Good grief! All right. Well, needless to say, the next couple of weeks will be interesting. This thing probably won't be even figured out by the time we have the show next week. I would imagine. Oh no! It's, we've still got a lot of ground to cover before we get yeah. to a finale uh, here. We may live with this for a year or two, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's going to be, if nothing else, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Gary, Keith, Vaughn, thank you so much for your insight. I uh, really appreciate it. Bye bye, guys. Thank you. We'll talk Bye-bye. to you guys next week. Uh, so we're going to a recount. We've got absentee ballots in play. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the wind, and we probably won't get some kind of a final picture on seats, uh, no matter what the count is, for at least two weeks. Uh, and then the theatrics and the politics begins. Oh, what fun. We'll talk to you on Inside Politics right here next week on Radio NL. Local. First, CHNL, AM 610 in Kamloops, RadioNL.com, the Valley's first choice for local news.